Hi there, I'm Nadine Richardson, your host and creator of the scientifically verified childbirth education program, SheBirths. Our vision is to make birth better for every family around the world. And our SheBirths show is a place that will inspire your birth, evolve your parenting and help you live a life you love. Today's podcast is brought to you by Water Wipes, the world's purest baby wipes made of 99.9% water and a drop of fruit extract. You can receive a 20% discount on your first order using the code SHEBIRTHS20. Just go to shop.waterwipes.com.au and enter the code SHEBIRTHS20 to get your discount today. If you are a parent, about to be one, or a fellow health professional, join us now for an inspirational deep dive into topics with experts around the globe. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 1 of The She Births Show. Today's interview is with Dr. Sarah Buckley, world-renowned expert on the hormonal physiology of childbirth. Sarah's research and books have changed the way we understand labour, birth and bonding. For me personally, as a doula and birth educator, she changed the way I teach. But she's also really helped me to understand my own labor experiences and make sense of the numerous, often conflicting research that is available around the world now. Sarah is author of the internationally best-selling book, Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering, that's been recommended on our reading list for all SheBirths families for many years. She is published in numerous medical and midwifery journals and textbooks. She was recently commissioned to write the scientific report, Hormonal Physiology of Childbearing, published by Childbirth Connection in the US. You can find all the links to her amazing work in our notes section. As well as presenting over 100 lectures globally, her writing has been translated into numerous languages. Sarah is also the mother of four children, all born at home, and is currently completing her PhD at the University of Queensland. Sarah's work supports parents and professionals to be well informed. She helps us understand the research, but as well as that, she helps us to listen to our hearts and our instincts when it comes to pregnancy, birth, and parenting. I hope you enjoy. Sarah, it is such a pleasure to have you here on the SheBirth Show because I'm a huge fan, as are all pregnant women around the world and dads as well and birth educators and doulas and midwives and obstetricians because you really change the whole way that we see uh, pregnancy and birth in particular. When you started writing your pieces and exploring the hormonal orchestration of birth. So personally, I just want to thank you because when I read, um, I think your very first essay on nature's blueprint, I was blown away and it explained everything to me, my labor experiences, what had happened, what didn't happen in the first and the second. And it changed the whole way that I think people talked about birth and understood it. So thank you. Mm, my pleasure my, my pleasure yeah, yeah. It's my, my gift to the world really you know from my own yeah. positive experiences mm. yeah so tell us it is and it's a gift and you 
it's a beautiful legacy. And tell us how you ended up doing it. What's your background and where you ended up? How did you get here? Yeah, so I come from a very medical background. My dad uh, was a, actually an obstetrician and my grandfather was um, a country GP in New Zealand who used to go out on horseback to look after women having babies in the bush. He was actually very skilled with forceps in the days before caesareans were widely available. And so I kind of grew wow. up with that in my, in my life a lot as a small child. So my dad great. was always going off to attend women having babies. Um, but yeah, I, when I came to that kind of, and I was always interested a bit in alternatives and I had some friends that had their babies at home even before, um, I did much training in that area. And then I went and worked in hospitals and I noticed that, or not worked in hospitals, but I attended, I did my diploma of obstetrics in hospitals and I saw like it was such a difference between the experience that mm. women had at home or at least even just starting labor at home and the women that had their babies in hospital. And I also noticed that in hospitals, you know, the best kind of birth was the middle of the night when no one was around and it went much more smoothly. So that was interesting. And, um, and then of course I had my own children and, you know, we decided to have our our first baby at home, which was a radical at the time. Yeah. Um, but my, you know, because of those experiences of what I'd seen, and also my husband's sister is has been a home birth midwife for decades. So wow, it's almost our default position. Um, and you know, those experiences, my first in particular, you know, I could see what would have happened if I'd been in hospital because it. Yeah just fresh out of our training. Um, you know, I could see where things would have been much worse in hospital. Um, I was, I was, I had to, to have some concerns for all the things that I'd seen go wrong in hospital. So I wanted to make sure all those bases were covered. And we did feel very comfortable that our care providers could deal with any emergency at home. So we felt really safe and, mm. and confident yeah. at home. And then, you know, it, it went so well the first time. And, and the thing about the hormones, the thing that triggered my interest in the hormones really was that not just that, that it was such a positive experience but I really could feel that my brain changed yeah. <laughs> over those few hours of labor you know before that um, my neighbor actually lived in, in Richmond in Melbourne and my neighbor had three children and had a bassinet and I loaned this bassinet and set up this nursery in another room and once I'd given birth like I didn't want my baby more than an arm's length away like just mm. my brain changed and I was so bonded to my baby and it was such a pleasure to be with my baby and I remember like going to the library about three weeks later you know just to drop off a book and feeling like my arm had been cut off because I didn't have my wow. baby there. So yeah. you know, I had that own personal experience of being so changed. And I thought, wow, that's not something I've learned about or I've heard described. Mm. Like, what is that? Mm. And then I heard people like, particularly Michelle O'Don't talk about the hormones. And I thought, you know, I really want to understand more about that. And that's kind of where I started um, after, especially my fourth baby, actually, which was, <laughs> I said to her, it was like, I felt like I'd won the lotto twice. Like I had oh, this amazing gorgeous. experience that's and awesome. I had this, this baby as well. And it was like it was almost impossible to believe that it could be so good so good right it's like mm. did you have that kind of um lots of bright colors and almost like I suppose people talk about it almost like just being high yeah know. I wouldn't I mean I think it's different for everyone that yeah. I wouldn't have explained it like that but what happened um particularly after May's birth was more obvious maybe after May's birth was I felt like I was in this state of love like I knew yeah. what in love meant yeah. I was just in this total blissed out and it just enveloped the house and the children and I actually with each baby I was more careful about what I did after the birth so after yeah. May's birth I didn't leave the house for six weeks I had people come in and look after I didn't leave the bedroom for about 10 days and take off my pajamas. Yeah, well <laughs> I said, are you ever going to get out 
in the bedroom, mummy? <laughs> you know, that kind of kept us in that beautiful bubble. You know, my sister-in-law Sue, Sue calls it the, the golden orb of the baby moon. Oh, so it's so beautiful. Like marinated in that, <clears throat> those hormones and, you know, what I've learned it's not just about the hormonal orchestration, but, you know, these things affect people around and, and possibly yeah, like a pheromonal yeah. way, like everybody gets yeah, that dose of do. bliss as well. I've got a theory that that's actually why people get involved sometimes, I think, in maternity and obstetrics. There, there is like an energetic or pheromonal kind of gravity to it. Exactly, exactly, Nadine. And actually, you know, that if we're talking just about oxytocin, which we'll talk in detail more yeah, about, yeah. but that actually stimulates the pleasure and reward centers. So people yeah. attending the births get their pleasure and reward centers stimulated as well. So it yeah. does addict us. But I also think it has, I, this is just my speculation, but yeah. I think as a species, we're actually designed to do allo parenting. We're designed to take yeah. care of each other's babies yeah. because human babies are very social. They'll look at other people, they'll engage with other people. Yeah. And I think that kind of pheromonal thing that happens at birth that means that anyone that's there is going to have a connection going to have an oxytocin bond with the baby and that's going to help that baby's chance of survival so yeah probably has an evolutionary benefit as well absolutely i was at a birth last week and i just couldn't not cry like you know i just it's just impossible and yeah there always seems to be you know i I try and rationalize it and and get tough but it's like impossible like it's it's too beautiful and and too precious like yeah yeah such a sacred sacred time and and i think that's where your work um has really helped us our intellectual minds to be able to trust birth and to honor birth and because you Mm. write about non-disturbance so what is this Mm. sort of element of does non-disturbance just allow the hormones to orchestrate and and what's happening with all these hormones throughout well one way just um to to think about that lack of disturbance that's necessary for physiological normal natural but we use this term physiological birth to unfold um the circumstances are just as important for having a baby as they are for making a baby and the hormones that i'm going to talk about are actually very similar in both situations it's like a reproductive program that we have and it's essential that we feel private safe and unobserved for that program to run um with maximum efficiency Mm. and you know i mentioned evolution before like through as far as we know like we we're the product of 65 million years of mammalian birth and the vast majority of that's happened in the wild. So in those circumstances, it's critical that the laboring female feels safe. Yeah. So she doesn't feel safe and, and, and her senses are very alert, you know, like you might have noticed this if you've had, had a baby yourself, you know, you always attended births, yeah. you know, women seem to be in this kind of altered state and we'll talk about that, yeah. but they also are very alert. So, yeah. you know, something, to, someone talks about them or their baby in the next room, they'll hear it. Yeah. We're designed to be alert to danger because of course, you know, any mammal, any female birthing is very vulnerable. I mean, she's making strange noises, strange smells, you yeah. know, she can't respond easily to fight or flight. The baby the placenta all these things that make her extremely vulnerable so you know a a laboring female has to be very sensitive to her surroundings and she needs to know that she's in the safest place for this dangerous activity to happen so birth has evolved you know that women are sensitive in labor to their surroundings that they choose the safest place that they possibly can that they choose this environment of feeling private safe 
and unobserved. And as you say, it's a, it's hard to rationalize because it's actually happening in the limbic system, the middle layer of the brain. So that, you know, and this can happen and, and you, you may recognize this, you know, you decide that you're going to go to hospital to have your baby because you think it's safe in an intellectual sense. Yeah. Um, you're kind of mentally convinced. But, but when you go to hospital, yeah. you know, your body acts as though it's not safe and your labor actually slows down or even stops because, you know, the, the stress hormones kick in exactly as they're designed to do and slow or slow or stop your labor just as though, you know, you're in the wild and there's a predator there. So that private, safe and unobserved is, you know, is basically the, the core requirements for birth on all mammals, as I say. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's so hard to understand the depth of safety we need to feel during birth, that sense of vulnerability and that need for privacy and intimacy. Um, it's actually just really hard to understand because all we've seen is crazy, screaming, dramatic, medicalised, traumatic, you know, births on TV. Um, and we don't, it's very hard to capture the privacy and intimacy of birth you know, in, in film, but I think your work is the closest we can kind of get. If we could take everybody to some births before they had their baby, maybe it would yeah. be a great thing. Cause that's what traditionally we would have done mm. as women. Anyway, we would have attended all our sisters and our aunties and maybe our mum's, you know, eighth birth, mm. but, um, and that would have been our way of understanding and normalizing and accepting it. But you're right. It's, it is a big thing. We see it all the time. We think that's where we're going to feel safe, but certainly people can be quite confronted um, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah, progress and, and, and think there's something uh, wrong with them. But Yeah, I think that having a baby, making a baby, I think that's one way of looking yeah. at it. You know, look at the circumstance you're choosing for your labour. Is this somewhere where you could actually make a baby? And if not, how can you make it more into that kind of environment? I mean, I'm not suggesting everybody goes to a cave. I'm not even suggesting yeah. everybody has their babies at home, but I'm suggesting look at your birth environment with that in mind. You know, birth yeah. is, you know, and it's quite a, you know, it's quite incredible that we have, come to not see birth as a sexual event. I mean, the baby comes out of the most sexual part of our body, yeah. you know, and the noises of birth are like the noises of, of, of sex. Absolutely, well. of lovemaking. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think that's, you know, that's the, the big problem when birth doesn't go well. It's actually, you know, like it, it traumatizes us and, and our sexuality yeah. as well. On a very deep level, absolutely. So let's talk about what we can do to honour and respect. Let's understand these hormones a little bit more. So for the average pregnant woman out there who has just heard maybe a little bit about oxytocin and doesn't know anything else about birth. What do you think she needs to know? Can you talk us through? Yeah, so um, well, the first thing you need to know is birth's designed to work. <laughs> you know, like what yeah. we've all been saying, it's designed to work and it's designed to maximise um, ease for mother and baby. It's designed to make birth as efficient as possible. Yeah. You know, we just talked about how in the wild, you know, it's a time of, of, of danger. So the longer the labour, the more exposure that female has to danger and the less likely her and her baby are to survive. So it's actually designed to be as efficient as possible, as brief as possible, including the pushing stage. Mm. But designed to be as safe as possible for mother and baby, as many safety factors that we know about and probably a whole lot that we don't know about. You know, this, the baby comes out of the, the mother's <clears throat> womb and vagina through the contractions of labor. And then this is all placental mammals with the exception mm. of marsupial, you know, like, um, mm. marsupial mammals, you know, this happens and every baby has to come out through the strong contractions of labor and the strong contractions of labor are in inevitably going to squeeze the placenta and stop the mm. passage of blood and oxygen to the baby. So it's a 
you know, fundamental fact that every baby has this relative hypoxia, lack of oxygen in labor. But, you know, over these 60, 65 million years, it's evolved to protect the baby from that. So there's many, many inbuilt safety factors for the baby to make birth as safe as possible. And the other thing to say, and it's going back to what we were talking about before, birth is actually designed to maximize pleasure and reward, to maximize the pleasure and reward systems. And this is kind of, you know, one of the, the things that really struck me when I did the research for my report, Hormonal Physiology of Childbearing. We can mention that at the end and where people can find it. Yeah. Um, so we'll have it in the show notes for sure. So it's, yeah, thanks. So it's designed to, ma- to maximally activate. And it's like the story I was telling about winning, winning Lotto twice. So the pleasure and reward centers of the mother and the baby are designed to be maximally activated so that, that when they meet each other after the birth, you know, it's the, the, mm. you know, the mother looks at the baby and I'm talking about all mammals, you know, not just mm. women, but elephants and dogs and cats and goes, this is the most rewarding thing that that possibly is in the world. And I'll do everything I can to take care of this baby. That's mm. the switching on of the maternal behaviors is involves the activation of the pleasure and reward center. So we're meant to get that at birth. You know, I say it's meant to be like the best first date ever. <laughs> All the circumstances are there for those two so people beautiful. to fall yeah. in love with each other. So that's mother nature's superb design, as I call it, you know, the, mm. the um, ease, pleasure and safety maximized for mother and baby. So the way that that happens, well, what this is just really a small snippet of what we understand. And, you know, there's so many things we don't understand about it. But we do know that it's designed to maximize survival and ease pleasure and safety. So, so that, you know, we could say that, well, I had a friend actually, Janine Pavadi Baker, who was a midwife. And when when people asked how long her labor was, she'd say categorically nine months. (laughs) And it's kind of true. Like, you know, your body's preparing for labor from the minute that you can see the body has all these pre-labor physiological preparations, as I call them in the report that, you know, that um, ramp up in the lead up to labor. So even before labor starts, there's a whole lot of preparations that happen that will maximize what I've been talking about, maximize ease, maximize pleasure, maximize safety for mother mm-hmm. and baby. So, for example, one of the things that happens, and um, in humans we know this because we can we can um, test it, but we know that the, the mother's uterus increases the number of receptors to oxytocin. So oxytocin wow. is a hormone. It's called oxyfastocin birth. It's a hormone that makes birth go fast. It was discovered about 100 years ago. It's been mm-hmm. very, you know, you might, could even hear it on the radio these days because it's very popular in terms of research outside of mm-hmm. reproduction. It's kind of like the best thing since sliced bread. It's the yeah. hormone of love, the cuddle hormone, the hormone of monogamy, the moral molecule, hormone of calm and connection, relaxation and growth, a whole lot of really positive things. But we produce it naturally in labor and we produce it inside the brain. Mm. And it goes from the brain through the body to the uterus. And when it gets to the uterus, it finds these oxytocin receptors. And it's like putting a key into a lock. So the oxytocin from the brain binds to these receptors and the uterus turns the key in the lock and it sends a signal into the cell saying contract. So that's one of the that's parts so of cool. that makes so that, me just love my uterus. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So that's what happens. But you know, ob- obviously in labor, oxytocin levels go up somewhat. Actually, not very dramatically. But but in this lead up to labor, what's happening is the mother's body is becoming more sensitive to oxytocin by increasing uterine oxytocin receptors so that when that quite small amount is released at the start of labor it'll have a massive effect and that will make labor as efficient as possible so any time that a woman's induced 
of step, skipping ahead a little bit, she's not going to have that peak number of oxytocin receptors mm. that's going to make labor as efficient as possible. And her labor, you know, if, if, if it's a long way from her own onset of labor and she has a lot less receptors, you know, mm. some of the studies that have been done have shown like a three times increase from late pregnancy to early labor. You know, she might not even have enough receptors for labor to begin, yeah? Mm. Or she might, you know, some women you get induced and you have a little bit of synthetic oxytocin or another drug and everything happens it means you you're almost yeah you're almost yeah. at that peak readiness and you probably would have gone into labor tomorrow so you know and that's part just, of that readiness we talk about that favorable cervix and a good bishop score and stuff like that and i mean is that correlational do you think to your oxytocin receptors being primed and ready well i think it is i think that's yeah. probably the best measurement we've got yeah. at the moment because there's a whole lot of preparations that happen you know in synchrony with each other and mm. i'm just talking about one lot which yeah, is the yeah. oxytocin receptors but yeah you know that's the best marker we've got at the moment is is the um the bishop score which is the a scoring of how soft and open and kind of ready the the cervix is to stretch out in labor yeah. but you know in other mammals and we can't do these tests in women <laughs> but in other mammals mm. oxytocin receptors also increase in the brain because oxytocin is widespread in the brain it's actually part of the pleasure and reward system and other animals it's it activates um, instinctive maternal behaviors it also has intrinsic so all throughout the pregnancy this is going on well um we don't i can't say all throughout we because yeah. we can't have it measured in women <laughs> yeah, yeah. certainly in the lead up to labor you know in animal studies yeah. there's an increase in oxytocin receptors in the brain and, yeah. and we know that um, the, est the hormone estrogen, which is increasing mm. in the lead up to labor, um, we know that the hormone estrogen, uh, we say upregulates, like increases the number of oxytocin receptors. Awesome. So that explains the uterus thing. But likely we wouldn't, w there would be no reason why that wouldn't also be happening in the brain because, you know, we, we need that help in labor or the extra yeah. pain relief, you know, calm and connection kind of effects. Totally. Putting us in actually put, puts us into the, the calm and connection kind of system system called the parasympathetic nervous system yeah. so that's important in labor as well Absolutely. so so there's all these pre-labor and i'm just describing one oh, really it's so good facet. to understand it all and to, yeah I, I feel like you've been diving so deep into these topics i feel like i'm hearing you say things you know that are very new to okay yeah yeah, yeah. So, so the, the pre-labor physiological preparation. So when I talk about this in my, um, in my workshops and, and seminars, yeah. I say, you know, I compare, I show a picture of, um, actually William and Kate, or it should be Harry and Megan really getting married. And I say, you know, inducing labor or, or having, giving birth before all those preparations are complete is a bit like, you know, Harry and Megan turning up at wherever they got married like a week beforehand and expecting everything to be the same because it's not like yeah. even an hour beforehand, you know, yeah. things would be different. And in fact, in animal studies, you know, some animals um, are very, well, most animals actually are very aggressive to um, to babies unless they've had their own you know, or through, yeah. they're not pregnant even through pregnancy, they'll rebuff or even attack babies that are presented to them. But in this particular study, it was about prairie voles who have a, a, quite an elaborate oxytocin system similar to ours. And that change between being aggressive to babies to being receptive and looking after them only happened in a few hours before the physiological wow. onset of labor. So there's something shifted in the brain. And I would say oxytocin receptors would be at least part of it just in that very last few hours of, of pregnancy in the lead up to labor. So we don't really understand that in humans. We haven't looked at those things. Some of those yeah. things are obviously harder to study, but you know, that 
that would be a general, you know, that, that could be a mammalian principle. And, and I just want to go back and say, I'm not saying that we're all totally ruled by our limbic system, that we have to have, that if we, for example, you know, get induced, we can't fall in love with our baby. I'm not saying any of those no. things, but I'm saying that this is mother nature's best start, you know, like looking after a baby is a lot of work. And so yeah. there's this program designed that it, it rewards us maximally so that we'll do it and we'll enjoy as far as possible doing it. We'll be rewarded and motivated to give that dedicated care that every mammalian um, newborn needs it's so cool how amazing is nature it's (laughs) the more you dive into the knowledge of hormones and this orchestration this blueprint that we have the more i just like become so reverent and bow down to the innate wisdom well that's exactly right and it's you know, and it's like Anna Mae Gaskin said, you know, your body isn't a lemon. <laughs> we have this kind of, we've been brainwashed to think that our bodies don't work, but it's really, you know, the external circumstances that determine a lot of that. And then other interventions like induction, or if you imagine a pre-labor cesarean, you know, that woman is not going to have that maximal number of oxytocin receptors in her uterus, likely in her brain and other animals actually in the breast as well. So all of those things could put you, you know, at some disadvantage for breastfeeding as well. Amazing, amazing. So what happens? So all of this is going on and then we move from, you know, Braxton Hicks and softening of the cervix and all of a sudden we're in regular established contractions. What? Yeah, and that can take a little while, can't it, yeah. to get labour established. And one of the reasons for that, this is really interesting, and I refer mm. people to, uh, well, for that first bit I just talked about, I refer people mm. to Chapter 1 in my report. Mm. The bit I'm just going to talk about now, I refer people to um, a blog about epidurals on my website. And if mm-hmm. you look at that blog while you're listening to me, it's got a really yeah. nice little circle drawn on it. Um, so if you put that link in there too. Totally. So what actually happens as far as we understand is that labour is not a homeostatic process. So homeostasis, if you remember high school science, Mm. is is the process whereby all of our physiology stays the same in the face of environmental changes. So we have feedback systems, negative feedback systems. If our blood pressure, for example, gets too high, we've got these these feedback systems that bring it down. If our cortisol stress levels get too high, we've got these systems that bring them down. Okay, so we stay the same. You know. It's like a flat line. But in fact, in labor, labor is not a flat line. Labor is not a homeostatic process. Labor is like, I call it the snowball of labor. Labor is an accelerating process. So things start small and get bigger and bigger. And one of the reasons they get bigger and bigger is because we have positive feedback or feed forward systems that actually make things get bigger and bigger. And one of those that we know about is the, is, involves the oxytocin system. So what actually happens is that when the uterus contracts in labor yeah. strongly, yeah. that sends a, a feedback via a specific nerve pathway up to the brain, to the oxytocin releasing centers in the brain. And that signal says release oxytocin. So mm. the mother releases oxytocin from the brain. Mm. And within the brain, I'll come back to that. So from the brain back into the body and that goes to her uterus. Yeah. With the receptors causes stronger contractions. And, yeah. and then there's more stimulation. The contractions get stronger. There's more stimulation. There's more feedback to her brain. There's more oxytocin released. So Maybe. that's a positive feedback loop, yeah? yeah. And and at the same time that it's been released into her body to, co- to increase, to accelerate 
the, the contractions is also being released within her brain and all those positive things that we talked about, calm and connection, pain relief, switching mm. on um, re reward centers, switching mm. on maternal behaviors. It's all happening in her brain through the process of labor, through this positive feedback loop. And just to mention one thing about that, which mm. is the, the, the point of the blog, the blog is actually about epidurals. So the problem is if we um, get rid of that sensation, you know, you know mm. I'm not saying it's a bad thing in all circumstances. No. It can be a good thing for some women, but the downside is if we get rid of that sensation, the woman misses that feedback and she misses the oxytocin increase in her brain and all those things we just talked about, oh. as well as oxytocin released to her uterus. So we can measure, you know, it's been measured lots of times in studies that women's oxytocin levels go down following an epidural, labor tends to slow or even stop. And then she needs synthetic oxytocin to get her mm. back, get mm. her labor back. So that's mm. created what I call a hormonal gap. Yeah, so, right. Create a hormonal gap. It's um, it's stopped this positive feedback loop from happening, and that's also going to impact her in terms of pushing her baby out because that positive feedback loop goes mm. really strongly. It's called the Ferguson reflex mm. at that pushing stage when there's really strong sensations of the baby on the pelvic floor. Mm. Um, so yeah, she's going to have more difficulties. She's more likely to have forceps, um, an instrumental birth at that time with yeah. an epidural because of that um, disruption to the to, to the oxytocin physiology. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? To consider and like you. Said, say you know epidurals can be absolutely you know gold in certain scenarios and we have an approach in in yoga in ayurveda is to go for the most optimal experience and if we can't have the most optimal then what's the next most optimal and then the next most optimal because um, some of our mums were getting excited about hearing this podcast today and some of them are like they want to know what is the one thing that you know i mustn't um you know, forget or I mustn't, what is it, bend on, um, I must include in my birth experience. And I think it is, you know, allowing as these hormones to orchestrate birth and bonding as much as possible. It's go for the most optimal. And if you can't have that, what's the next most optimal? And what's the next well, most optimal? Yeah, so so um, I'm completely in alignment with your model, um, Nadine. So yeah. I see it as a continuum. So yeah. you imagine one end is, you know, maximum physiology and essentially undisturbed birth. And the other end is minimal physiology, which would be a mm. pre-labor cesarean where all those preparations that we talked about haven't happened, the in-labor yeah. processes haven't happened for the mother. And we haven't even started talking about the baby because the baby has its own yeah. processes. Yeah. I mean, of course the baby has to be prepared for life outside the womb it's just such an enormous transition so there's all these safety factors that prepare the baby um, before labor and during labor um, for to make sure that they survive that they make a successful transition mm. so that's you know pre-labor cesarean has a minimum of all of that so that's the biggest hormonal gap so yeah. you know every woman's on that continuum somewhere and I yeah. think it's not so much saying you know what must I do or what mustn't no. I do but how can I close any hormonal gaps how can mm. I put myself further along that continuum towards physiology so there are things that we can do apart from it because sometimes you know sometimes interventions are necessary even life-saving even optimal yeah. um, so you know sometimes a pre-labor cesarean is going to save the life of the mother or the baby so the good thing is that there are backup systems you could say and yeah. again just to think about this you know in terms of um, 
you know, giving birth in the wild. Like if we gave birth in the wild, where would the baby be after the birth? Mm. The baby would be on the mother's body. There's nowhere else for the baby to be. Like there probably weren't bunny rugs or hats or <laughs> warmers or any of that stuff. You know, the mother's body is designed to give everything that the newborn baby needs, you know, yeah. in, in any circumstance. And, you know, the, and breast milk is designed to give the newborn baby exactly what it needs in any mm. circumstance. So, mm. you know, the mother nature's backup system is skin to skin contact. I mean, there's so much we're discovering yeah. about the, the, um, the, the brilliance of skin to skin contact really that mm. it activates processes in the mother. It activates processes in the baby. It releases oxytocin for both. It mm. switches on, um, the baby's intrinsic breast seeking behaviors. Um, it, um, regulates the baby's temperature, um, increases the mother's oxytocin, prolactin, other feel good hormones as well. So, so skin to skin contact is one of those things we could do after the birth if it hasn't gone well to minimize hormonal gaps and then breastfeeding as I call mother nature's back up system you know as as getting the baby together with the mother as early as possible and we do have some research about that actually there was one um, Australian study that looked at mothers and babies and their experience in labor and birth and it actually recorded how soon it was that mother and baby got together or back together after the birth and they measured the mother's mood in hospital and then actually they followed them up at eight months and the mothers who'd had um, a pre-labor cesarean had the worst mood in hospital and the worst mood at eight months but what the the most important factor there was how quickly they got their baby back so if they got their baby back quickly skin to skin you know um on their body then their mood was better you know we have this and and, and this replies to everything that i've said we have this kind of window of opportunity you know when the hormones are maximally active when we've had all those preparations it's like that moment of the royal wedding you know it's yeah. a minimal effort maximum effect time it's a window of opportunity you know it's mother nature's best shot at survival really um, and if we miss that window we can make it up we can use skin to skin and breastfeeding but it's going to take a lot longer because we've missed that window yeah. and I'll share an anecdote about that it was a mother this in a, in a home birth magazine I think it was a mother who'd had um, two previous natural births and the mm -hmm. third one she needed to have a pre-labor cesarean there was no way around that. Mm -hmm. And she said, when I got my baby back after the cesarean, my baby felt different. I could tell there was something different. And, and, and mm. we could talk a bit about that. Like she was different. Her baby was different. The whole situation was different yeah. hormonally. And she said, my instinct was to have my baby skin to skin. And she said, after three days of skin to skin, mm. my baby felt the same. And that's exactly what I'm describing. You can catch up, you can close those hormonal gaps, but you're going to have to work a lot harder because you've missed that window of opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's beautiful. It makes me feel good about all the mums I've had to support because we definitely have pre-labor cesareans in, amongst the SheBirths community and um, you're making a cesarean a calm and gentle, beautiful bonding experience and immune supportive experience as well as best we can. Yeah, so that's skin right. Skin to skin is going to yeah. help with the microbiome mm. and like you say, the hormones as well. So it's it's an amazing thing. Skin to skin. And, do, and do you have um, obstetricians that would do the cesarean and put the baby straight on the mama? Only if I, I I think all the obstetricians I've worked with and know of, they say that they will if they can. Yeah. But it is so hard, right? In theatre when it's yeah. cold and Sterile if it comes field. out and yeah. they've, you know got a bit of fluid and mucus and they're not crying and so. Yeah. People often do yeah. the rub down. And I think what's really quite tricky now is in the public system in New South Wales anyway, mum is only allowed to take one person in. Yeah. Previously I used to always go in and yeah. so mum always had me beside her and 
partner would always go with a baby yeah. to the resus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and also, she, hard. Yeah, yeah, she needs a midwife in there really to help her to hold the baby as well. Well, because, she does, but it's yeah. still not the person that she's necessarily yeah. chosen. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I had that experience just last week actually. So, yeah, it was a hard call. It was a hard call. Yeah. Particularly yeah. if mums, you know, are afraid of needles and a cesarean yeah. is, is their greatest fear. Yeah. Um, the hard one to face. And Yeah. But, you know, the staff made it as beautiful as possible. Yeah, so what is possible to do, you know, to have uh, to have the least, least hormonal gap possible? That's the way yeah, I describe it. I love that. Period. I just think that's so nice to get that visual of the continuum and closing mm. the gap and that example just explains it perfectly. But can I also yeah. talk about something else about caesareans because yeah. I mentioned that the baby also has its own safety system, its yeah. own preparations and the lead up to labour. So part of that safety system for the baby is um, – actually a, a hormonal system called the catecholamines, which is ad- mm. essentially adrenaline and noradrenaline. And this, you know, the baby in labor with a normal physiological labor birth gets extreme levels of adrenaline. Nord- in an adult, it will cause a stroke to have those levels. Wow. But that's actually the baby's protective system. So this kick in of these hormones ensures that, and this is part of that protecting the baby's brain, ensures that the blood supply to the baby's brain and heart are maintained through those strong contractions of labor. Wow. The, the, the hormones these um, hormones also actually directly protect the baby's brain cells from low oxygen levels. Amazing. They um, help the baby make the transition to life outside the womb by switching on um, energy producing processes in the baby because once the baby's born, <laughs> so the baby's, the baby's comes out of hotel to womb, hotel of the womb yeah. where everything's on tap yeah, and the, the mum has been... Palace. Yeah, that's the, what do you call it? The womb palace. The womb palace, exactly. So the baby's, you know, being fed and being rocked and kept warm and the nutrients yeah. have been delivered and the waste taken away and, you know, and the oxygen is well and the baby yeah. has to do all those things for themselves. So, you know, the, the catecholamine surge, as we call it, the newborn catecholamine surge or fetal catecholamine surge ensures that all these processes, the, the, the transition from life in the womb to life outside the womb is as efficient as possible. So it gets the baby's lungs ready for breathing by clearing the lung fluid, by opening mm-hmm. up the airways by increasing surfactant which is the lung lubricant um, it also um, helps the baby to switch on the temperature producing or the, the heat producing thermoregulation systems wow. um, because after birth the baby has to make their own heat um, and also um, also switches the you know turns the baby's brain on because the brain's yeah. well supplied with blood and oxygen so if you think about you know the thing the problems that you're describing that these pre-labor cesarean babies have it's really because they've missed the catecholamine surge yeah. of labor and they've also missed the pre-labor preparations that increase receptors mm. for this catecholamine surge for the baby so the babies tend to get breathing difficulties because they've missed that that yeah. benefit they tend to be groggy because they don't have the blood flow to the brain mm. um, they tend to have low blood sugar because they've missed those um transition metabolic transitions because mm. the baby's going from you know constant 24 7 you know hotel to womb to having to wait for the mother's breast milk to come in mm. so you know, there's going to be a gap there so it ensures a baby will be metabolically prepared to make their own metabolic fuels for that gap so hypoglycemia low blood sugar is, is mm. more common in cesarean babies yeah. and then low temperature also as well so yeah. it kind of explains the morbidity the problems that pre-labor cesarean babies have and you know if, when you think about that you know think well how how could we help those babies? How could we close the hormonal gap? What would actually make sense for women who need a, a cesarean for medical reasons would be to wait until the mother's gone into labor yeah. because then the baby's at that peak of readiness. And there was actually a study that did that and found wow. that the babies had better breathing outcomes when the mother had an in labor, non-emergency cesarean. So, That's amazing. So 
I mean, that's the thing. All of us here, you know, in Sydney, we live within 15 minutes of a hospital. Yeah. And, you know, as we know that it's very uh, rare to have a very fast labour. I think a lot of people are quite scared. They'll go into labour and, you know, if they've got a grade four placenta privia, maybe I'm going down too much of a rabbit hole here. But, um, yeah, certain factors, there could be greater risk. So, therefore, have the baby earlier, schedule it earlier. It's a hard line sometimes for mm. people to make those decisions. But yeah. what about, I suppose I say to my mums, it might be an idea to um, continue with the natural induction protocols that we recommend, like eating the prostaglandin-rich foods and doing um, the pre-labor yoga if everything is safe and getting stuck into the acupressure Mm. Um, as well and things like that to try and encourage some of those earlier hormones and receptors would that be significant do you think or not really well it's it's difficult to know I haven't seen these studies in that area yeah. um, and just going back to something you mentioned before about you know what what causes labor to begin well if I could tell you the answer to yeah. that question I actually get a Nobel Prize because Yay, we don't know what go causes for that, labor to begin. We so it's kind of <laughs> ironic that we're messing with it you know in such a widespread yeah. way without even understanding understanding it so uh, and it seems to be there's slight differences among different species of animals what triggers labor to begin but one of the major factors is actually you could say crosstalk between mother and baby across the placenta so the baby's maturing adrenal produces um, chemicals that then go to the placenta that then get converted into estrogen and that estrogen goes into the mother's body and starts up regulating oxytocin kind of wires up her uterus, kind of softens her cervix. So, you know, but that comes from the baby's increasing readiness. And this, at the same time, the baby's maturing adrenal gland is also producing cortisol or steroid hormones, which is maturing the baby's own organs. Um, you know, I don't know if you've heard of this, but if a, if a mother goes into premature labor, she's often given steroid hormones to help yes. to do that artificially. Yeah, yeah. So there's this coordination between mother and baby. And it's the, to, to the best of our understanding, the baby... The, the babies that, that sort of generally readies the mother for labor and birth. Yeah. So, but, and, and maybe the mother's diurnal patterns, the day night patterns, you know, how labor is more likely to begin at night. Yeah. Generally in day living species, to with melatonin and low levels of catecholamines. Mm. But, um, it's probably something in the baby is signaling that day and something in the mother's probably signaling that time of day as far as we understand it. But so as I said, that's, been, you know, we don't even know. We don't even know. And you can imagine how much research is done in this area when, you know, is we want to prevent prematurity yeah so uh, it's quite, uh, quite extraordinary that we don't know so yeah so we don't actually know what causes well, a lot of research that. going to sort of interrupt it isn't there <laughs> well. Yeah, well yes yeah that's right and you know and the thing is you know, just going back to some of the things we've been talking about is that you know um labor and birth are designed not just to maximize survival of the mother and the baby. That's obviously necessary for yeah. that big picture of reproductive success, species survival. That's what it's all about. That's what we're hardwired for. But, um, so, you know, surviving labor and birth is obviously a prerequisite. But actually lactation, suckling, mm. breastfeeding and other mammals is necessary. I mean, mm. it's only been very recently oh. in human history and like, you know, tiny, tiny part of our evolutionary history that, that we've had breast milk substitutes. Yeah? yeah. So it's been necessary that the mother's successfully lactated for her babies to survive. And the other thing that's equally necessary is that the mother, like we talked about, the mother has to be rewarded and motivated to give that dedicated care. 
care. So, you know, mm-hmm. I say it's, I call it the triangle of reproductive success, birth, breastfeeding, and attachment. They're all equally critical. Mm-hmm. So these hormones that we're talking about, like oxytocin, you know, optimizes birth, optimizes breastfeeding, optimizes lactation. It's all part of one system. And we start messing with, um, mm. the hormones of labor, messing with labor, you know, for example, missing these pre-labor preparations, you know, mm. pre-labor cesarean, then we risk missing, um, messing up breastfeeding and attachment as well. And that's not something we've really looked at that much, which is kind of shocking. Mm. Um, mm. And this this intocinin as well is a big interrupter on that one, I'm sure. Yes. Well, yeah. And again, we don't really, you know, I've been looking at that as part of my PhD and there's lots of things we don't understand about it, how it actually works. Mm. Um, Yeah. One of the things, well, some things we know that are important to know about it is, um, well, like we said, it it works on oxytocin receptors. So if you're not ready for labor and you don't have many oxytocin Mm. receptors, it's not going to work very well for you. Mm. Um, And it's not, not that your body's at fault. It's not, no. you know, your body it's caused the failed induction. It's that your yeah. body's not ready. Yeah. So that's important to know. Mm. Um, the second thing about it, important to know, is that it doesn't cross the blood brain barrier. And I'll explain yeah. what that means. So I talked about how oxytocin is made in the brain and comes out of the brain to the uterus, causing the yeah. contractions, but also, also goes through the brain with these pain relieving, calm and connection, pleasure and reward, all those effects, right? So yeah. when, so that goes from the brain into the body, but it actually can't go from the body back into the brain. And this mm. is kind of a general principle. We're, we're cautious with our brains. We don't just let any old thing get into our brain, right? Yeah. All this kind of filtration system called the blood-brain barrier. So mm. peptide hormones like oxytocin don't cross the blood-brain barrier. So mm. when it's given into a mother's body, it actually doesn't give all those beneficial, calming, connecting, pain-relieving effects. It gives her strong contractions, but without necessarily yeah. giving her pain relief. So that's important to know. Yeah. But the other thing, thing um important to know and i'm going to recommend you sit in front of your computer and look at my little um positive feedback loop uh, from the epidural article the other thing important to know is that if a woman's at at, at a close enough stage of readiness and you can cause strong uterine contractions then that can trigger this positive feedback loop if she's close enough and what that means is that you know synthetic oxytocin in some women can if they're ready enough can can initiate labor and if it initiates labor but and causes that feedback loop then she does get those effects within her brain and i've definitely seen labors like that where it's just that tiny little initiator of the six mils per liter that's trickling through and that's all the mum needs to tip her off and to yeah. let her go into her yeah. labour. Yeah. And that's what we think from the, the studies that we've looked at is a woman's own natural oxytocin release is about four to six um, milliunits per minute. Is it mainly? So I can't remember that. Yeah. yeah, it's four to six, um, which yeah. is a very low dose. And yeah. that's how much she naturally produces in labor. And if the dosage goes up, then her own blood levels go up as well. Mm. We don't really know the effects of, of, for that of mothers. Um, mm. You know, some studies have shown more kind of stress responses in the early days after synthetic oxytocin exposure. Some studies have suggested women have more anxiety, depression. Yeah. I've definitely um, seen that in my mums. Yeah, but it's, it does. It's not. It's not across all mums. Well, it's also yeah. difficult to tease those effects out, really, yeah. Nadine, because yeah. most of those women then end up with an epidural, and epidural does have these definite impacts on oxytocin. So, mm. yeah, we really we it's we're, we're working on it, but we don't really understand. You know, we need some more research on how do those how do those interventions impact the whole system because it's such a complex system, you know, hormonal orchestration, every yeah. little bit of it's playing its own tune to, to produce this 
species survival you know yeah. the song is species survival and if we start fiddling with one bit or, or another bit like what is the impact on the whole you know we've got to look at it yeah. as a system and you know yeah. most of the, the time we don't know we don't know the, the overall impact what the long-term impact is either no, so um, it's really important to look at this stuff and to you know if you're in that situation as a birthing mama and you do have interventions you know how can you close those hormonal gaps you know and it's basically get your baby as soon as possible after birth skin to skin and breastfeeding you know absolutely and i think one of the other things when we're just talking about um syntocin, epidural and um, possible anxiety, depression after birth. Um, obviously, closing the gap with your baby, in a sense, is going to help your own experience and how you feel inside yourself. But what is it that really creates a perception of your birth or a memory of your birth? And how do hormones interplay with that? Does oxytocin contribute to how you perceive Yeah, as far as we know, oxytocin kind of softens the memory. You know, like you don't, it's that thing where, you know, it's you've had an intense experience and maybe quite painful, but you come out of it on the other side, oh my God, I could do that again, you know. And and there are some studies that show that. And it's, it's a difficult thing to tease out, but women who had a physiological birth have a better memory going forward than women who had an epidural. Mm. Um, but, you know, women may have had more pain before the epidural. It's, it's difficult to tease out. But, but oxytocin sure. does have that kind of softening effect on the memory so it does help us to you know it puts a bit of a glow on it you could say which yeah. is you know obviously beneficial we're not going to do it again if it was you know if it was just a negative experience so it is designed to be ultimately pleasurable and rewarding not i'm not saying every minute of your labor is going to be no, no, no. And doesn't mean it's not going to be hard work yeah exactly it's an intense <laughs> you know like the anatomy the baby coming through through the uterus through your vagina like there's no way around that and you it's know. a bit like running a marathon isn't there like a kind of that reward system that dopamine almost creates an amnesia like a marathon amnesia um yeah well you know it, it, it all these hormonal um influences you know put us into this older state of consciousness yeah. you know particularly endorphins within the brain yeah. um you know they call it the runner's high but that kind of puts us into this altered state that helps us to deal with the stress and pain you know mm. it doesn't necessarily remove it i mean some women no. do have painless labors but it helps us to kind of i say transcend the stress and pain of labor yeah so yeah. With, there's all this hormonal help for us for our babies you know for the start of breastfeeding for attachment you know it's mother nature's superb design or you can call it god's superb design if you like it's really yeah. designed to work you know birth is designed to work i guess that's one of the take-home messages your body is superbly designed Absolutely. And the more you learn, the more we actually can trust it. So that's yeah, yeah. It's so helpful. And what about just, I know we've been diving deep into this and I could actually talk to you for days about it. It's so fascinating. But the delivery of the placenta, there's a lot of talk these days about, you know, whether um, a physiological third stage um, is important. A lot of our mums requested and it's um, told that it's unnecessary or a high majority um, don't seem to get that request met. Um, what's going on there? A lot of our mums are wondering about that and if it's going to affect their hormones if they don't have a physiological third stage. Well, you know, if you think about, again, in the wild, um, you know, there's nowhere for the baby to be except on the mother's chest. And as my friend Sarah Wickham said, if we were designed to clamp the cord, we'd be born with a cord clamp on our thigh. <laughs> so <laughs> humans, like other mammals, are not designed to cut the cord. You know, the, the baby comes out, the cord remains intact, and the mother births the baby's placenta. Mother chews through the cord 
short or however you want to separate the mother and the baby. I mean, that's physiology. So anything short of that is not true physiology, you know. And and what actually happens in that natural, I could say, physiological um, time after birth is that when the placenta is inside the mother's uterus, the mother's uterus continues to contract. And each contraction squeezes the placenta and pushes blood to the baby. So Mm. through those early minutes, the first three to five minutes, the baby gains, I could say in inverted commas, 100 mils of their own blood that was left in the placenta through the birth process and then comes back into the baby's body. And that extra 100 mils of blood called the placental transfusion or more more, um, accurately we should call it the placental redistribution because it's the baby's own blood then it's essential for the baby to um, activate all those organ systems we were talking about. We're talking yeah. about how the baby in the womb is in the, the palace of the womb, you know, hotel to womb and a whole lot of functions it doesn't have to perform. But once it comes out, you know, the liver has to start working, the kidneys have to start working, the skin has to have some blood supplies and as an organ mm. of heat regulation. So the baby actually needs this extra blood volume mm. to perfuse all those newly functioning organ systems, as I say. So that's really important that the baby gets that placental transfusion and what's been exciting because I've been kind of working on this stuff for like 15 years or 20 years actually is that now we're recognizing that we're recognizing that there are benefits to the baby and the the most recent study actually showed benefits even at age four to boys had better um, development um, at age four because from getting it she was only a 30 second delay from getting extra blood which gave them extra iron which made them less anemic which helped their brain development so there are yeah. studies and that's really beginning to affect practice i'm hoping that what you're talking about doesn't involve immediate clamping i think that there's really no evidence to support mm. immediate mm. cord clamping um mm. But the other thing that we talked, you know, we talked about the oxytocin system mm. and, you know, these peak levels that the mother's got at birth because of the positive feedback loop. So that when the baby's born, the mother has these enormous high levels of oxytocin. But in fact, when the baby's put on the mother's body, mm. the baby does this breast crawl. And you left to look that up I on. I love the breast crawl. It's the coolest <laughs> it does a breast, thing in the world. Yeah, it does a breast crawl. And, um, yeah, so it and the baby breast crawl. Crawl, finds the mother's nipple and starts to massage yeah. the mother's nipple. And that Massaging of the mother's nipple puts the mother's oxytocin levels up even more, even by a factor of ten, in yeah. one study. So you know that, and that all that oxytocin that the mother's getting naturally is working in her brain, calm and connection, pain relief, switching on attachment, also working in her uterus to contract her uterus. So that's Mother Nature's perfect design to get the uterus to contract after birth through the baby being on the mother. And of course, what we've done for the last few decades is take the baby away, which increases that lowers the mother's oxytocin, mm. increases the risk of bleeding, then giving her synthetic oxytocin. Yeah. So we are getting some good studies now showing that after a physiological birth, having the baby on the mother, the mother mothers isn't at extra risk of bleeding but of course if the mothers had interventions um, I'm not going to go into this in detail but if the mothers had synthetic oxytocin in labor in particular then she is at increased risk of bleeding and she does need something in the third stage to prevent bleeding so you know physiology is physiology and if we start meddling with it you know we can end up with unexpected um, results like increased risk of bleeding yeah absolutely and so I mean, one question I have around the whole physiology and how we're different to other mammals is we tend not to eat our placentas. 
Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And, and, and what do you think about this? There's such a debate. Let's finish with the, the well, physiology. Yeah. If you look at other mammals, you know that they, they they do eat the placenta. Yeah. And is a rich source of hormones and not only that but people have found that the placenta and the membranes are actually have high levels of endorphins so they're actually very rewarding that they're designed wow. to be eaten yeah i saw a video on youtube of a monkey like just relishing the membranes that i don't think the baby was even born but the relishing i don't know maybe it was after the you know just oh my god give me more give me more just so into it so obviously <laughs> a lot of reward from that but but that's eating the placenta straight away after straight the birth. Straight away, that's right. So, you know, that's what we designed to do, you could say. And somewhere along yeah. the line, we, we've stopped doing that. How does that translate to encapsulation? Um, it's really difficult to answer, so and there hard. is some research both ways at the moment. Mm. I mean, the, the benefit of placenta, just from a kind of nutritional point of view, is it's high in iron, and you do lose blood and lose iron. So from mm. that point of view, it would be beneficial. I mean... As I, and in the downside of that is that if you have an infection at the time, that the mm. iron actually can feed the bacteria. So as uh -huh. I understand it, that's a Chinese medicine principle as well. But mm. it's true in, in humans as well. You know, the iron feeds bacteria. And when we get an, an infection, we hold the iron, we put the iron into storage and ferritin to, to reduce mm. the, the infection. So, you know, everything has its pros and cons. I don't really know. I don't think we have enough no, evidence either way at no. the moment. Um, you know, I don't think it's harmful. Um, um, this, except with that proviso that I just said, but um, yeah. I really can't answer that question. No, it's a, well, there's more to learn and there's more to research and there's more to yeah. ponder upon. And well, I think people are doing that research too, Nadine, yeah. so watch the space, yeah. Yeah, it's good. And, you know, in the meantime, women have intuition and mm. instinct and yeah. maternal instinct is, is heightened during our pregnancy. We become calmer, more connected, more conscious and that is also a guide within yeah and I, and I think we've been selected through that you know we haven't had tests and <laughs> external sources of information about pregnancy except the mother's own intuition so mothers who are more intuitive you know if it was something important then their babies are more likely to survive so that that would be selected for um, according to how I see it yeah that's right we're designed to be more intuitive yeah yeah it's the best part it's one of the most <laughs> profound and wonderful experiences i i remember and is there anything else you would say to mums and partners out there the dads that are listening um as well who don't have this amazing orchestration of hormones like us they have different hormone changes yeah they do have different hormone changes and the more involved the father is the more they get of these hormones i mean that pheromonal oxytocin we're talking about prolactin is actually mm. a hormone of paternity and fathers that are more involved in the care of their babies have high prolactin levels um so yeah there's lots of things that happen for the dads as well but really you know i think um you know, the, the supporting the mama to have the birth that she wants is really important, being involved and, and supporting her. And, you know, and, and, and the other thing that, that I'd say, um, you know, the, um, in, in the, in the mammal, in the other mammalian kingdom, you know, the, the, the males actually release, um, a different hormone, arginine vasopressin in mating. Mm. Um, it's a different hormone of monogamy and it's actually a, a, um, a territorial hormone. So it kind mm. of initiates mate guarding and, and, um, cool. caring for the space, protecting the space. And I think that can, is, is quite common in men around pregnancy, labor and birth. They have a heightened protectiveness, which is yeah. hormonal in, in my understanding. And, um, you know, I, I think it's really important for men if you're going, if you're going into a hospital setting or somewhere you're not yeah. familiar with to actually, 
you're going to be feeling like that. I actually yeah. really think it's important to have another person there, like a doula or your own midwife, yeah. because you don't want to be the one that's responsible for hope or being the barrier or being the interim, you're know, being the, the yeah. conduit between the mother and the hospital system. It can really not go well and you don't mm. want to put yourself in that situation. So if you are going to hospital with your partner, I really suggest that you take your own doula or, or midwife um, because they will support you to support um, your partner as well. Yeah, and help keep you in that golden orb, in that beautiful Yeah, exactly. That yeah, we, exactly. Yeah, absolutely, and, and nurture that. It's so yeah. beautiful. Well, thank you, Sarah, so, so much for your time and your wisdom and all the hard work that you do. Your research is amazing and we can't wait to read more of it <laughs> in more workshops. And we yeah. direct every pregnant family to your website. Anybody who's ever got a question, it's my first thing is like, what does Sarah say? <laughs> Go and look at her amazing website, read her books and learn more because it's so fascinating and profound and it really allows us to restore our faith in ourselves and in birth and in love. Hmm. And that's what we're here for. Yeah, hormone of love. <laughs> so thank you so Thanks, so Nadine. It's a pleasure. Yeah. I'm Nadine Richardson and you've been listening to the She Births Show podcast. Proudly brought to you by Water Wipes, the world's purest baby wipes, made of 99.9% .9 water and a drop of fruit extract. If you have enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to our future conversations and leave us a review, and we'd love to know what you would like to hear more of. You can find me and my team of certified educators at shebirths.com and become a part of our community on Instagram and Facebook. In the App Store, you can download our SheBirths app filled with lots of freebies and the full online SheBirths program. And remember, when it comes to having a better birth and easier transition into parenthood, education is empowerment.